So I'm not sure which of the years you may have intersected with our story. Maybe you've been with us for just a month or two. Maybe today is your first day. Maybe you remember sort of the sweaty mess that was nervous and, you know, like that like, like it was just the collection of us that like unloaded and reloaded a trailer nine years ago this respective weekend in Tabrizi's Banquet Hall. I'm not sure what your on-ramp is with our community or if you would even consider yourself part of our community yet, but I just want to say just thank you for just between our eighth and ninth year as a church, just sort of finding ways to continue to express our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for the city of Baltimore in intangible ways. Like, it has been anything but easy, but um, just grateful for the ways that you've showed up and showed out in those respective things. And of course, more days ahead of that, right? Like, it's certainly, you know, adjusting into whatever normalcy sort of looks like between our ninth and tenth birthday. My prayer for us is that we would continue to be spirit-led and, and driven and in that love of God and creative and resilient disciples as we aim to make much of Jesus in this space and beyond it. So uh, I was, it was a Thursday and I was with my daughter who at that time was our, our only daughter. And every Thursday I had a chance to connect with her just kind of one-on-one. She didn't go to daycare. Um, she would go to uh, just a day, kind of hang with me. We would call it Dad and Emery's special day. And on Dad and Emery's special day, particularly if you have a child that is terrible at sleeping, and that is Emery, um, we would find ways to strategically make car rides, make naps happen. So we would always go to this respective, like, location where we would, like, hang out at this fast food restaurant. They had a play place, and we would play at that play place up to a certain point, and then we would take the car ride home. She would fall asleep, and then you do the gentle transfer thing, and it works out really well for everybody. Well, this particular day, um, we go back to that play place, and we're ready to play. And if we're honest about this respective play place— the, the toddler area of this play place, she's about two years old, is just not as cool as the thing that is for everybody, right? So, so they get this little toddler area where you can like hit the thing and it will go in circles and you can play tic-tac-toe. And we, we've done that like a few hundred thousand times at this point. And this particular day, Emery decides that she's ready to go up the sort of tree-looking ladder slide thing you know, and is going to go across the hamster tunnel thing that looks like a, you know, PVC pipe plumbing in your house, you know, hamster tube, and like down the spinny, swirly slide. Like, and, and I endorse this. I know it says three and up, but I'm like, you're really smart. You're brilliant. You, you can do this. I'm, I support you. And like, I, I thought that was the move. I thought that was the thing that she would want of her father in this moment. So off she goes, and she shoots up this ladder thing, like climbing up like it's some kind of obstacle course, like she's playing, you know, on an episode of Survivor, and then she gets to the top. She gets to the top of this sort of laddery thing and, like, freezes, because it becomes apparent to this child what she has just done 
And, and like this, suddenly this thing that looks cool from the surface now requires you to crawl across this like hamster tube to go down this dark slide. And so suddenly now all that she can see is fear and uncertainty and she melts down. She panics, she freaks. And of course my like dad jumping, yay, Emery, yay, 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 turns into trying to have a rational conversation with a freaking out two-year-old where I'm like, you know, you do this things that still in your, in your 40s aren't helpful when someone's like, well, you just, just stop it. Maybe you should just stop that, okay? And if you just stop it for a minute, can we, can we, have, can we have a rational conversation? Yeah, that, that always works when you're freaking out too, doesn't it? Someone's like, hey, well, just stop being worried. Thank you for that. I hadn't considered it. Let's, let's, let's go with your option. Well, so, so there she is. She's kind of panicking, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. So you've been in the position of Emery before in that moment. I certainly have. Maybe it was on your 30th birthday when you went skydiving and now you became keenly aware that you were going to flail yourself out of a plane. Maybe you had a moment where you're like, is this thing that people should do? I do not do these things, but maybe you do, right? Or maybe it was the moment where you go to talk to your boss and to say, hey, it's time. Like, I'm going to say yes to a different career path. It's, it's time to go down. But you have that moment where you're like, yeah, but what about this? And 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 what about this? Like, like that just happens, doesn't it? Even when you maybe are convinced that it's the right thing to do and it's the exciting thing to do. Maybe there's a moment where, where you kind of hit kind of a rock bottom for yourself and you're like, hey, I know that I need help, but, but the articulation of that to your lips and to take the necessary steps to get help for the addiction or the struggle that you may find yourself in. Like, it, it, we've been there in some way shape or form in this place where we just get paralyzed. What we just heard read for us in English and in Spanish is a moment that if we've heard that text before, we maybe kind of just romanticize in that like Zacchaeus comes down gladly out of the tree to meet and encounter the love of God. We've been looking at this text for several weeks now, and what we aim to do in our time together, week one of this text, it's not just that we love like Luke 19 just so much, that we just, we can't talk about any other passage but Luke 19. And like we, week one, we really, we couldn't really focused on the character and nature of Jesus' invitation. What does this invitation reveal about what the kingdom of God is really about? And last week, we, we kind of moved past that reading that just sort of reads the, the Pharisees and the crowd or whoever the crowd is as a group of just grumpy, old, like mean, crotchety people, and, and rather as a group of people who had who had processed some level of disappointment about their own projections on Jesus and, spoiler alert, had been exploited by the guy in the tree. So they were processing even their own grief about what had happened in this case because it's scandalous. And today we want to look at the guy, the tax collector, old Zacchaeus, the short guy in the tree. And, and why was he able to, to, as the text said, come down gladly and receive this love that was available to him? Why was he able to sort of get to the place where he receives the invitation to for Jesus to invite himself into Zacchaeus' house, but obviously bring transformation to the story. We want to think about that in our few minutes together today. We want to think about the idea of, you know, when we're up in that treetop and it's overwhelming and the rest of us are kind of freaking out, like, man, do we take this step or not? 
what are maybe some of the things that helped Zacchaeus like get over that precipice to get over to that place where he could, he could, as the text says, as Luke tells us, come down gladly to receive the love of Jesus and to receive that invitation. I think, I think one observation might be this, that Zacchaeus in this moment is paying attention to Jesus and not just himself. He's paying attention to Jesus and not just to himself. There's, there's, there's a series of things that like get you up in the morning, the, you know, the, the, your, the, your why, right? Like this, this text is a text about salvation. This is a text about salvation in the sense that Zacchaeus is receiving salvation, right? There's that, that, that phrase that today salvation has come to this house, but there's, there's a bigger kind of meta narrative that Jesus is getting at too. Like on an individual level, that's true for Zacchaeus, but we're also doing something here with this story. Jesus is saying, hey, this kind of thing, this kind of people, this kind of muttering, yeah, this, this is it. And so, so it, what it changes for Zacchaeus and what, what is true for you is the why, like why you get up, why you function, why you do the things that you do. You've got a series of things that you trust for salvation. Like even, even if you don't call yourself a church person, even if you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christ follower, there's a series of things like, like, and, and even if you do, by the way, you know, like you might say, I'm saved by Jesus, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but, but functionally you trust success, you trust promotions, you trust money, you trust the approval of a person, the, the identity of a community, you know, you, you trust a series of things to sort of find that like, I'm good, life's worth living, and I'm in the in crowd, that you just do, like we all do, like we're, we're looking for that big why. But with Zacchaeus, you know, like, and with Zacchaeus, like, there's a series of things that he's just normalized and he's become functional at, like, how do I live in Jericho and succeed? He's built a nice little life for himself, uh, you know, be it on the backs of other people, right? And this moment is a collision with how the kingdom of God invites him to a different way to see salvation, you know, do, do I self-preserve in, in the midst of Rome? Do I self-preserve to, to carve out a nice life for myself? Are these people just jealous because they don't have what I have? Or is there a different way to see the world? Uh, Chuck DeGroote says it this way, it's a deep longing of the human heart to want to be seen. Long for that. Invite others you trust to see you. It's entirely different to be unaware of this need and longing and to chase it like a ravenous animal after its prey. And this is what a lot of us may find ourselves doing in life. We are, we are chasing the, the thing that will, you know, we will arrive when blank. We will feel peace when blank. We will feel hope and all will be right with the world when blank. And what Jesus has come to offer is a different way to see that for Zacchaeus, one that blows up his paradigm. And so I want to consider just a couple of things that, that may be going on. Like when, when, this, when, when we hear, Zacchaeus, I must come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That don't just keep Zacchaeus up in the tree. You know, so that he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Let me offer a couple of just quick hits at what's at stake. The pictures of salvation that are at stake as Zacchaeus is up in the tree, kind of perching, living his best life like the king of Jericho. One, on one sense, it's, a, it's the idea of cultural influence and power. Like, he has it. He has it, right? Like, because can't, can't what happen, you know, oh, the crowd's muttering, the crowd's pointing. Can't Zacchaeus just say, wait till next tax season when your father's in jail? 
come at me. Right? Like, like, couldn't he just double down on the cultural influence and power? And isn't that what happens? Look, look, look around you, you know, like the, the, the craziness and chaos of the partisanship around us, right? Like, 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 we'll take a few words of Jesus and we'll double down on our political party. And if we feel attacked, we just get angrier and we just get louder and we wield our particular power. That's what we see kind of happening in the culture around us. How do we co-opt Jesus to prop up our platforms of power rather than redefine power, redefine our standing in light of the way Jesus will define life, define power. And so on some level, what we're talking about here is Zacchaeus's willingness to, to come down out of that tree is to, is to risk. Is Jesus going to punch me in the stomach? Is Jesus going to like, like throw me to the crowd? Is Jesus going to come to the house with a torch and say, we're burning it all and we're starting over, big guy? You know, we, you don't know. And Zacchaeus doesn't know until he begins to come down from the tree. There's also his story, right? What about the power of his story? One of the things that we're keenly aware of, and we just see it in the moment around us, is that we are a society kind of that loves the story of how the villain became the villain, right? We, we can presume, because we, we, we presume that minus maybe a few people in the history of the world, like that, like the, the Joker didn't wake up one day and go, I love to be the Joker, or, or that, you know, the, you know the, the, the Wicked Witch of the West, like this is the, the Broadway musical Wicked, didn't just wake up one day and like, I just love to, you know, to come into Oz and cause disruption and chaos. Ha ha. We're a society obsessed with kind of getting the underpinnings of the story. And we can presume, perhaps for Zacchaeus, that, that maybe he just didn't wake up one day and go, you know, it's a really good living. You know, it's a really good way to live is if, you're, if the Romans treat you with contempt and everyone in your community treats you with contempt because, because the Romans only consider you like a puppet and the, the, the people in my community consider me sort of like, like basically a traitor and everybody hates me. That's what I'm signing up for. That's when the career path, when like my seventh grade guidance counselor came in and was like, hey, wait, what are you thinking about? You're pretty good at math really want to exploit people or really want to make everyone hate me. Can we do that? Can we sign up for that? What's the track? There's something in Zacchaeus' story we don't know. Have a cup of coffee with him in heaven and ask. Like, hey, what happened here? What, what were the things in your family? What were the things in your story? The text doesn't tell us. But, but here's what you might know about your own story, about the story people close to you. That there's a series of many times difficult events, tragedies, doubts, frustrations that, that often collide and lead us to a place in our own story where we feel paralyzed, where we feel where it's easier to stay stuck. And we normalize patterns where we're just stuck. We're just the guy up in the tree that's not allowed to hang out down with the crowd. And we just sort of live in that victimhood. We live in that place. We, we just, because getting out of that space and getting out of that spiral is a really, really heavy and hard lift. And on some level, what we see in Zacchaeus is a willingness to sort of say, hey, my story in this moment is going to meet a greater story and it's going to bring transformation in some way. We also see control being something that he has to yield in this moment. My way of spending money, my way of living, my way of doing this particular thing. Even to climb the tree is a way to say, like, I can control what happens to me in this tree. I cannot control what happens to me in this crowd. 
So whether it's the curiosity of wanting to see Jesus, maybe the processing that he still has to do, there's something that drives him up the tree, and it's the relinquishing of that control that brings him down from the tree to gladly pursue Jesus. And then lastly, how about the power of shame and regret? We don't know, again, the full of Zacchaeus' story, but what we can process is that on some level, we know he's done things that are wrong. The, the crowd is, calls him a sinner. You know, Jesus is elevating this moment, probably not because he's known as the bastion of integrity in the neighborhood. And so on some level, right, if you're a person who's done, who's failed to do the quote right thing or has done things that are wrong, there's a series of ways that you've processed that. And on some level, right, we all know the, the movement from I've done something bad to I am something wrong. And if you know anyone that's lived in that space long enough, you know how difficult it is, again, to get out of the tree, to really believe that the good news of Jesus would actually apply to you. And so the words of the author of Hebrews stand out. Since we, um, to, to, to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The reality is Zacchaeus in this moment doesn't have perfect theology. Spoiler alert, neither do you. He does not have a complete and perfect understanding of all that, that Jesus has for his story yet but he's come to the end of himself. And the culture of the kingdom of God is not try harder, do better, but draw nearer. But draw nearer. Zacchaeus confronts the reality about himself by looking to Jesus and entrusting that to come out of the tree is to encounter the character and nature of a, of a of a, of, a, of, a, of a savior who lives in truth and walks in truth, but embodies grace and mercy like none that have come before. And we're invited this morning to confront that reality in our own story, in our, in, in our own definitions of power, in our own shame, in our own ways in which we try to yield the controls and sort of live our best life. Maybe just kind of inviting Jesus along the way to kind of help us when we get into a tough corner. But there's a paradigm shift that's extended to Zacchaeus. And so all of this, this glad running, I, we don't know how quickly it happened. We don't know if there was a pause or a tension, you know, like in terms of, you know, how immediately was the immediate? You know, is it like 30 seconds? Was it 10 seconds? Did he just fall out of the tree and like try to make it look good? I, I don't know. But we know that there's some things that he had to overcome to walk in this story. And the invitation for us, whether it's the first time or the 400th time, is to, is to confront those things fresh again in light of the promise that the gospel is not try harder, do better, get it right, but hey, you can't draw nearer to the one who can. Zacchaeus also looked past the confusion and anger of the crowd. I'll be brief here because we talked about the crowd last week. But um, it's, pre I mean, that crowd's angry and they've got reason to be. And if you are Zacchaeus, in this moment, something you might shift back into is just the fear and paralysis of what this group of people think beginning to triumph over the thing that Jesus has for you. And, and I think, I'll, I'll just to be brief on this, I think we can find, if we're looking for it, we want it, we want to drink it in, plenty of fodder to be angry and frustrated with people around us who claim 
to walk in the way of Jesus and speak for Jesus and represent Jesus and do things that are antithetical to the very way of Jesus. And I'll speak for someone who tries not to be one of those people, but probably is sometimes too. There are people that do it on purpose, and there are people that are very, very human and and trying to get through life in very, very human ways, and you will confront, if you are around church people, the humanity and the frailty of church people. And what do we do in a moment like that? Well, what we don't want to do is sweep it under the rug and pretend that, like, pretend that, like, everything's beautiful and nothing hurts. The American church has actually tried that, and it's not working, is it? It's not helping the witness much. But in a spirit of humility, you know, if we are that crowd, this is what we talked about last week, letting the love of Jesus really confront our own idolatries, our own projections, our own frustrations. But if we are Zacchaeus, really making sure that we're locking in with laser focus, not what the the peanut gallery person over here has to say, but what the invitation of Jesus really is. And I, and I want to say that which is with a little bit of nuance, if I could. Like, I, I want to say that to you. And like, there's some of us that maybe just need to hear that in a way that, like, Jesus is not the church. That, like, the church is flawed and imperfect and not it, foundry included. And Jesus is not. <laughs> and maybe some of us need to live and rest and pursue that distinction And just that's where it needs to land for us. I think there's others of us that the journey that we're on as we process our anger and our disappointment and our frustration with that reality is that to pursue Jesus is to let the mercy and grace of Jesus confront just layers and layers and layers of our own expectations about how we think Jesus should work and move. I was challenged this weekend to read the Gospel of Mark in one sitting. And maybe it's because of what I was talking about. Maybe it's because of what I'm going, what's going on in my own life. But here's what I learned from a, from a place, like the crowd is always projecting something onto Jesus that Jesus always wants to get below or beneath. And like the invitation to continue to look at Jesus is Jesus is helping you process you. That is a hard grind, It's necessary. It's beautiful. It's how Zacchaeus encounters real transformation. But I I think sometimes when we say this, well, look to Jesus and forget the the Christians who say dumb things. And and I get it. We should. Is, Is that we sometimes will just let that grace and mercy of Jesus be like an ethereal thing that doesn't actually care about our story, doesn't actually care about the things that, that Jesus wants to set us free from, doesn't actually care about the, the grace that we're being invited to walk in that we, we don't want to walk in, you know? And, and so just, just really when I say pursue Jesus, I don't just mean cling to the idea that there's someone in your corner that will say everything that you want, but rather that there's someone who loves you enough to meet you where you are and walk with you through a crowd of people that will say nonsense to still tell you the truth about you to you. And to see it all and continue to want to still walk with you is the beauty of that invitation. And that's what Zacchaeus experiences by coming down from the tree and not the preoccupation with, well, what's that guy going to think? And if that guy says something, then... Wait till next tax time, because it's going to (laughs) happen. Lastly, that in word and deed, the way of Jesus can restore what's been fractured in Jericho. And another way to say that is that that this is a way for, for Jesus 
to express to this community that God wants to use Zacchaeus' story and everybody's story to have a picture of the kingdom of God that looks different in Jericho. That, 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 that the, the way to, um, and, and there's an interesting thing that happens here, right? Because like we have to understand that when Zacchaeus gives away half of his uh, you know, possessions to the poor, he's going to pay back four times the amount to anyone that he may have cheated, uh, you know, yeah, you cheated people. Come on. Like, like the, we kind of look at this from like a settlement check standpoint. Like, you know, like when you, you signed up for something years and years and years ago, and then you got like some class action lawsuit thing in the mail. Like, you check this and you'll get three cents in 10 years um, if, you, if you agree to be part of this class action lawsuit. And I'm not speaking, hopefully, you know, glib about things that are real issues in the world that maybe need to be confronted. I'm just laughing at that, like that, that quick wrestling, because I think there's some of us that maybe look at this as just like, yeah, you're darn right, because Zacchaeus owes people. Yeah, that's what you do. Like you do something wrong and like you do your penance and you make it right. You get it right. And that's not really what's happening here. Really what's happening here is, is Zacchaeus is getting a glimpse because this is not prescriptive. We don't see in another place where leaders of the early church are like, hey, when, when you kind of realize that you've exploited people and you look at where your shirt came from and you were like, oh no. Half your possessions, four times the amount, everyone today, Go. That really what we've got here is, is, is Zacchaeus beginning to understand that like, hey, all of this stuff, like the, the invitation to receive this is that all of this stuff that you've built is reframed in light of the love that is extended to you. There's important conversations about justice that are happening in the world right now that the church needs to be paying attention to and the church needs to be involved in and the church needs to be engaged in with wisdom and grace and humility, yes. But, but, but there becomes this argument and this talking point. It was like, well, is the gospel just like, you know, receive the salvation that's come to this house or is the gospel like going into Jericho and paying back four times the amount? Which is it? And, and my... Maybe my, you know, step out of this conversation answer is like, yes. Yes, it's both, isn't it? It's, it's understanding that like Christ aims to, to, to move and transform hearts from death to life, from to walk in sin, to walk in the freedom of Christ. And then when you do that, you will see your sin, the sin around you and the sin in your community and the injustice in your community way differently. And you will not just go, well, it's my money and it's my time and don't ask me to do any of it. But you'll rather say in a forward-facing motion, like, I want to... I want all of my resources to be part of the flourishing that's happened here. Because if I understand what I've done, if I understand what's happened around me, and I understand who's been left behind by what's happened around me, then I want to, I want to be here for the conversation. I want to be part of making it right. And, like, and so, so for the foundry in our ninth year to our tenth year, right, the thing we always kind of talk about is that we don't want to be a church that just says that the gospel is like, receive the good news, get baptized, and then get your butt to church as often as you can. Like, and then we're going to do some fun things. Yay. That, that, rather, that rather what it is, is to say, hey, you are going to be, you're going to be spending the next seven days until we meet again as a church, being constantly bombarded with pictures of life 
that, that will not actually prove to be life-giving. You'll be constantly bombarded with needs around you more than you individually and all of your resources can possibly fix or cure. And then, so, so how can we come back together next week, receive from Jesus the courage to carry those things properly, to see around us that we're not the only ones who give a rip about this, and to step back out there with a little bit of, of a reminder that the Spirit of God is, is walking with us out of this room, away from this online service. Martin, Martin Buber, the, the, the Austrian theologian, he was a Jewish mystic, actually, uh, rather, was, wrote a book called I and Now. That's his most famous book. In, and in uh, around 1918, um, he was approached by a friend who wanted to connect a friend to him. Like, basically, he's a mystic. He's encountering God in unique ways. He's expressing that, that, that movement in unique ways, and people are drawn to it. Like, hey, tell us about those things you do that, like, we don't do and we don't understand, and tell us how you understand God in unique ways. So the friend of a friend wants to meet with Martin because he is looking at the suffering of the Great War and the suffering of humanity and is just like, how on earth do I make sense of all of this stuff? And he sits down with Martin Buber and basically asks that question. How do I make sense of all the suffering around me? How do I make sense of the trenches? How do I make sense that we're like blowing each other up over like treaties? Like it doesn't make sense. How do I make sense of a world where there's like influenza breaking out and killing able-bodied people? And, and Buber's answer is initially one of like, well, you... You don't, but here's these mystical things you can do to sort of escape the realities of this nonsense. And the guy gets a little bent out of shape, as you would imagine he would. And Boober is a little bent out of shape that this time has been wasted. And off they go, and they don't think about it again. Well, this friend who was the connector approaches Martin years later, and, and they're having a conversation, and they recount this friend. And Martin, as a courtesy, extends sort of like a, well, how is your friend that was having all those questions? And unfortunately, the, the questions that he had and the darkness that he felt led him to a place where he felt the only way to end it was to take his life, sadly. And, and it, it shook Boober. It shook him. Like, that years later... Like, what, like, I had this, so, so it created sort of a, a faith crisis of sense. I've had all these experiences. I've had all these, like, times where I've encountered God in a unique way. And he said, basically, it kind of moved to a place where he realized that if you have all of these profound experiences, but it doesn't lead you to be present with the people around you, that that faith is a house of cards. And it shook him. It reminds me of the words of Paul who says something to the effect, I'll paraphrase here, that if I can speak in tongues and if I can offer like prophecy, but I don't have love, like a grounded real love from God, that I am nothing. I'm just a resounding gong. I make a lot of noise. I create some spectacle. I make moms angry. But that's it. 
And, and my, my prayer for you and us as we understand Zacchaeus and we understand the beauty of what's happened here is, is that we go, man, the beauty of this invitation is that God wants to meet Zacchaeus in this story and unwind these, these ways in which he's exploited others as a way to see, hey, this, this transformation that's happened in your life, here's the scandalous beauty of this thing. God wants to use you to bring hope and flourishing to those places where you once brought exploitment. What an invitation. What a beautiful invitation for, for Zacchaeus. What a beautiful invitation for you. What a beautiful invitation for me. And what a beautiful invitation for us as the foundry in our ninth year together. So let's go back to the play place. Let's go back to the paralyzed, frightened, two-year-old who's got a dad who's trying to be rational. <laughs> um, I, I realized quickly that the rational arguments are not working. I realized quickly that getting more frustrated by her tantrum is not working. And so I go into action and I do the thing that I yell at my kids many years since for doing, which is to climb up the sliding board the wrong way because I'm a rule follower and you don't do that. Like, um, but I go up the wrong way and to get my dad bod up there and to extend across to the hamster tunnel and sort of say, come on, come on, come on. And, and, there's, and there's the reality, right, of, of a willingness to, to meet her there. And, and then the risk to, to what's going to happen if I take this step and you come with me and what on earth is going to happen in this hamster tunnel when we go through this together, you know? But it's, it's that moment, right, where she finally sort of got to the place that she was looking for, which is this fascinating journey down the slide at the Chick-fil-A play place. I have been the scared, freaking out two-year-old kid in my life way more times than I've been the heroic dad who climbed the slide, which is why I don't mind telling you the story. <laughs> and maybe even today, I feel a lot more like the freaking out, kind of paralyzed, questioning two-year-old. What we celebrate in communion, what Zacchaeus experienced on this day is that, is that, is that Jesus climbed the slide. You know, Jesus, Jesus climbed the tree. He went to the cross. He was present with us so that, so that Zacchaeus could get out of the tree. To walk in old patterns, to stop walking in old patterns of control, to stop walking in those shame spirals, to, start, to stop living for that old story and to be transformed. In communion, what we are reminded of is that the invitation for us, if we're not a follower of Jesus, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not try harder and get it right, but it's that love has come in your midst. Love has arrived at your doorstep. Love has arrived to those, those hidden and dark spaces where you'd rather it not show up, and it wants to invite you to walk in freedom. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's a fresh reminder to, to cling to that as the hope of our story, but to be reminded that this picture, the presence of God's love and the, the, the pouring out of oneself is, is where we find our rest and where we find our hope and where we find our energy to keep going. There's four stations in this room. You can uh, arrive at one of those four stations. They're all gluten-free and partake of bread and cup and take it back to your seat as an opportunity to think on and reflect on how the love of Jesus arriving in your midst may actually lead to a, a posture of transformation.
let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll move to that time. God, uh, we admit that for a room of doers, go-getters, professionals, tryhards, <laughs> we know the pride of the moments we feel like we arrive and the despair of the moments where we're just brutally reminded that we can't. <laughs> we can't always get it right. God, your love wants to remind us that your, your gospel is not try harder and do better, but it's to draw near to those scary places, those sensitive topics, those hard things that we use to define our story and to see those redefined in a way that your kingdom will bring flourishing to, not just in our life, but in the lives of those around us. God, help us to receive that news today with fresh ears and fresh hearts. And remember that you're with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.